Listener Production. I'm automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. For this episode, I'm on the Gold Coast, but wishing I could be in Sydney face-to-face with my old Speed Series TV colleague, Michael Caruso. It's just the way both of our schedules have worked out. I'm excited for him, pairing up with Mark Winterbottom for the coming Supercars Enduros. He's known Frosty since they were youngsters in karting. Michael, in this chat, talks about what life is like now as a co-driver and what he's doing Monday to Friday when he's not with Team 18, the skills he's learned out of the car as a professional sports person and perhaps even on the TV side that serve him incredibly well now. He's a proud family man and you'll get a sense of that, not to mention the inspirational impact his dad had on his career, plus a special moment getting to drive a wild race car that was almost like a moment of handing the Caruso race baton over. The legend who has been in his corner for a long time and whose words of wisdom shaped him on the path to the highest level of the sport in this part of the world. Michael pursued international opportunities too. He was a gun in carts, won a title when Formula 3 in Australia had some seriously cool cars and a very competitive field. His loyalty stands out in two decent stints as a full-timer in the supercars field, one with Gary Rogers and the other as part of the Nissan program with the Kellys. He talks about parking his race licence for a time and just how difficult that decision was and a hidden cooking talent, what it was like to drive an F3000 car at the limit plus the price tag that would come with taking that European path. We begin with... A kind of impassioned plea from me to fire up an award-winning rival podcast that he was a part of in recent years, which is tucked up in its own garage for now. This chat between us is just so easy. That's a great reflection of the person that Michael is. It's engaging, funny and insightful. I hope you enjoy being part of it. Michael Caruso, welcome to the podcast. It is great to get you on. Fans will want to, before we look back on the early part of your life and time in in motor racing, want to know what is happening with Below the Bonnet. Will that ever (laughs) resurface that podcast? Can we start with that? Uh, Rusty, thanks for bringing that up straight (laughs) off the bat. It's one thing that I love when I go to the racetrack. Um, I feel like that's the one thing that I'm remembered most for at the moment, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I remember you for more than that, for the record. But <laughs> no, a, lot of fans lo- a lot of fans loved it. So Yeah, look, and um, Dave included, he, he rings me like every second week to ask me if we're going to get it going again and how we're going to do it and, and chatting about it. And, and look, it's it was so much fun. Um, I mean... Look at the success that you're having, mate. It like when you're really enjoying it and you do something you love. It, it's you just you really get a lot out of it. It's not just about mm. um, talking to people that you like or interested in and what have you. Um, you get a lot of satisfaction out of it. But it's also a lot of hard work, which I'm sure you can do a test to. Um, is mm. the effort that goes in is not purely just sitting down and 
talking, there's a bit of research um, and obviously a bit of development as well in terms of, you know, looking ahead and making sure you've got enough to, to cover for the show and future shows. Where did the genesis of that come from? Because you brought together yourself, David Reynolds, who you talked about, who's got a, you know, kind of left of field thinking sometimes and, and uh, <laughs> there was nice a bit of, bit of irreverence it. about it. Yeah, it is. And you also brought into that, um, I mean, he's off doing his own podcast now as well, but you also brought in Andrew Van Leeuwen, who's a very respected award-winning journalist. It was kind of a great combo. Who came up with it and what? how did it all start? So Dave and I had the concept... Um, many years ago, and it was actually a, f- a couple of years before we actually got kicked off. Um, we obviously got a pretty good relationship there, and um, yeah. we'd spoken about doing something, and and it did take a while for him to twist my arm to to get it happening. And then once we did get off and running, we're like, okay, we're going to do this now. And funny enough, it was when I had enough, well, I had a bit more time on my hands when I went to a co-driver role. <laughs> so um, obviously. That's one thing that there's quite a bit of work in the background. So I was like, okay, I've got a bit of time now, a bit more time. Um, I'll invest a bit mm. of time putting into it. And then we thought, okay, well, it's not. We, you know, we thought it would be good to have a, a probably more balanced opinion, <laughs> and bring yep. on a yep. journalist. We'd, you know, had a, a long relationship with Andrew and what have you, and we thought, okay, let's bring someone else that could potentially just bring in a, a bit more of that balance and a less, um, you know, sort of leverage the show from in the sense that they can talk about some of the stuff that's going on that we might not have and so on and so forth. And then it just ended up turning to three mates just talking crap <laughs> and racing. So, Did you have um, to cut much out of it or was it always, was it what listeners heard was what we got? It was absolute. Whatever they heard was literally what it was, and and Fantastic. that was probably the best part about it. Is it was it was easy in that sense. We didn't have to mm-hmm. turn on in any way. I mean, you, you sort of hear about that in the media space a bit. Is you know you have to get your game face on and what have you. But our game our game face was literally just being ourselves. So um, yeah, lots lots of fun. Um, and you know, to your early question of if we're going to do it again. Who knows? Maybe when Dave becomes a co-driver. <laughs> no, I don't know. To be honest, we'd love to do it. We'd love to. Cool. Well, this is my vote. Uh, I'll start the wave. I'd, I'd like to uh, to see a rebirth happen at some stage. So you guys can <laughs> can iron that out. Good luck with that mission with him. Um, you grew up, mate, in in Sydney. Life has kind of come full circle for you because you are you are back there now. Am I right in saying and sharing the story for for the audience? Of course, that your your dad's involvement, his his love in motor racing, was a very powerful influence for you as a as a young kid, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so, Rusty. He uh started off as a car mechanic so his love for cars mm-hmm. started uh, virtually from when he could drive so he got into that um, and then he started doing some sort of sport car racing I guess which was just basically you know getting a road car and going out to Oran Park and Amaru and what have you and that quickly what turned sort of into um, sports sedans yeah cool um and He's a massive Ford fan, might I add. So okay. uh, it okay. always had to be a Ford. Um, from mm-hmm. ex, he had an XY from his early days, and then he got an XC, and then ended up with an uh, an XE in the end. 
Um, but yeah, look, I grew up at the racetrack. I mean, some of my fondest memories of motor racing is literally, and for those that can wind the clock that far back, um, there's a little kids park on the last turn at Amaru Park. And I remember oh, dad, um, before he'd go, you know, uh, for each race, he would walk me down, open the gate, which was obviously a lot taller than me, which probably still is today, mm -hmm. um, leave me in the park and I'd play in the park while he was out racing on the track. Um, and yeah, just yeah, thinking about it now, like I've got kids, mm. um, to do something like that as well, <laughs> be quite unique. I mean, it was positioned literally on the last corner. So it was like prime positioning as well uh, for what's Near that the press room, I think, wasn't it? Behind the press room there, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, so, yeah. it was just below. Yeah, they the had it was like a two-story mm. building there. It was, it's, mm. yeah, cool. I mean, that's the stuff that I remember, you know, climbing up the hill on, you know, stop-go corner and off the rocks. And, yep. Um, yeah, so, you know, growing up at the racetrack, it was it was always going to be difficult for my dad to to say no to me when I wanted to go motor racing. Um, but like you know, Rusty, I mean, he, he chats with you when he comes out quite a bit and mm. um, he he loves it. I mean, he absolutely loves motor racing and I think sometimes more than I do, to be fair. So um, <laughs> I'm quite fortunate that I had, you know, my one of my biggest supporters is, you know, my dad and that's fundamentally how I got it, how I really got into it. Great track, Amaru. You've brought up some fond memories, and I cherish those chats with your dad. He's always got this beautiful effervescence about him, this beautiful smile when I see him, and as you say, a passionate um, motorsport man. There is a connection as well for you and the family um, with the great Kevin Bartlett too, isn't there? Tell us about that and um, the, the connection in the early part of your career. I mean, certainly I think he was in the background, uh, perhaps maybe in a mentoring capacity in Formula 3 and things like that, wasn't he? Yeah, KB, um, he resided on the Northern Beaches uh, in his early days um, and uh, that's where uh, the family, uh, where we're from uh, and Dad helped him out. Uh, he was his, one of his mechanics in the Formula 5000 days. So, awesome. Um, you probably quickly understand why he loves motor racing so much. I mean, those Formula 5000 things, although being a death trap... <laughs> <laughs> they were unbelievable, beast, beast. fast, mm. uh, scary fast, um, amazing cars, and and some of the some of the stuff that I've seen, um, you know, is pretty cool. So, Dad, yeah, ha having the opportunity to work with someone like KB um, in that he uh, inevitably have wanted to help me out, um, you know, when I got into motor racing, and particularly because I was very motivated and interested in open wheelers. Um, there was no better person to to ask for support and and mm. mentor me through um, to become a more complete driver and and I was very fortunate to be able to work with him and and still catch up to this day so um, amazing person to what he gives back to the sport as well is is so unique still you know, doing it he's mm. a clerk of the course and he's a driver coach as well and and you know he, he's always trying to help and it's it's so nice to see that um, someone that got a lot from the sport is happy to to, to give that back as well, you know, um, mm. and someone that everybody respects, no doubt. Is there one learning, one moment with him that sort of sticks in your mind, something that he perhaps showed you, taught you? I'm sure there's plenty of things, but maybe maybe one along the way? 
Let me come back to that. That is so tough. <laughs> I, I've learned so it? much. It, to be honest, from Have him, you? it'd be hard to put it to one thing. But um, to be fair, a lot of the stuff that I learned from him, or that I, you know, still hold to this day, is is around the technical understanding of of a race car right. and how to how to really identify from driving a car how to translate that into feedback that can improve a race car or at least give the 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 support to the team to be able to try to improve it. So mm. um, I'll never forget the way he explained to me, uh, particularly around springs and how they work and, and this being in an open wheeler car, um, you know, coming out of go-karting and what have you, you have no idea about that stuff and I could – I understood what, what I understood what the car was doing in terms of understeer and oversteer and all that, but to then translate that into making an adjustment and make the car faster mm. is is something that not everyone can shift and do. Um, and I was fortunate enough that he could guide me in that way to to fundamentally help me become a more complete driver. You are in. I'm bouncing around here deliberately because it leads me to the fact that you are running with Team 18 in the Enduros. And as a part of the little bit of research for this, they tell me that on ride days, test days, etc., you are like the second or third engineer. <laughs> you <laughs> you will run up to Frosty with the, the tablet, quick, let's get the info, da 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 You enjoy, and maybe it stems from that stuff that KB instilled in you, but do you enjoy that that side of it and, and um, helping to understand the race car, iron it out and, and you know, make it that package it, that you need? Yeah, <laughs> you've clearly done your research, Sal. I like that person. But why would I be surprised, mate? You're the absolute most professional media person I've ever worked with. So um, I... Everything I do, I invest myself completely and um, with Team 18 and, and Mark particularly, uh, obviously we've got a very, very long relationship. Um, I've known him longer than, than his wife Renee has. That, I mean, that's how far it goes back, okay. um, hmm. you know, having raced each other since we were young, young kids. And uh, for Mark, he's <clears throat> he's like, it's hard to tell him how to improve in terms of driving, but obviously when we come to trying to, ha- you know, get in terms of handling a car, I just want to be there to help. And, you know, simple things, and I remember when I, you know, obviously was driving full-time, you'd come in and your engineer would tell you certain things on your radio, but you wouldn't know, you could, you know, p- painting a picture or at least seeing the data and seeing where you are on the timesheets and seeing where your sector times are broken down into the 10 or 12 sectors, you know, the mini sectors over the whole circuit. And having all that information to be able to turn that into something that you can translate to on the track to improve is something that um, is difficult because you don't have the manpower, as we know. In supercars, they're now limited to the amount of people. So every time I go out there, I try to just provide as much a value as I can, not just from a driving perspective, but, um, you know, if, if he's doing well, that means I'm going to be doing well. So that's sort of, you know, plus plus he's a good guy as well. So I wouldn't do it if yeah. I didn't, didn't enjoy it, that's for sure. You have evoked a memory for me. So I got more, you and I can see each other for this chat. I, I have more grey hair, way more grey hair than you. <laughs> but that is because you have no grey hair, you have none. Um, but that is because I, I reckon I can vividly recall 
learning to commentate on the PA at places like Lithgow and little Michael Caruso, little Mark Winterbottom being there and, and racing. What was the first cart? How did that come about? Did you take to it like a duck to water? Take us there. No, definitely didn't take it like a duck to water. Um, I started slightly later than um, than Mark, and I he I remember he started when he was seven. So I was sort of coming in a few years later. I didn't kick off till I was twelve. So by the mm-hmm. time I was getting into it, um, one of my first races of you do four races on your P plates when you're in go karts, and I don't know if this be the case anymore. But at the time, you did four races, and the fifth race we were like, why don't we enter the nationals? <laughs> so just the hardest event of them all, and it happened to be at Lifco. Um, so we turn up to the nationals um, in my fifth event, and um, we're running around, and we get into the final. Um, and on the very last lap, last corner, I'll never forget. They, the boys were coming to lap me. And I'm talking like Ryan Briscoe, Mark Winterbottom, Troy Hunt. It was the full field. It was like the who's who of Australian motorsport in Junior J Lights. And um, and I like I had no idea, you know, like I was never looking back because there was no one to look back for, mind you. So I'm looking forward <laughs> and these guys are coming around the outside of me and I'd um, inadvertently be involved in the the hunt for the Australian Championship on the last corner with everyone sort of just going around me in this blaze. Um, but, yeah, that was my sort of first experience or memory of racing, you know, the the likes of Mark and, and some of those guys. But, yes, definitely not a duck to water. <laughs> <laughs> Take us to, to how Dad and, and family stitched this together and what was the kind of car that you had to take the cart to the track and what are what are we talking you've, you've mentioned you were jays there obviously to, to what was what type of cart was it and so on so my first cart was uh it was a dap uh surprise surprise italian make go-kart um Legend. very famous and i was actually um working pretty closely with dean cano so they were close cool. with the importer for dap um and um dino was actually one of the one of the guys in the fight for the for the championship and that day in 1994 or what happened. Oh, sorry. It would have been earlier than that. Yeah, 94 or 93. Um, so, yeah, that was that was some time ago. But when we got involved in karting, um, obviously for, for myself, I remember the first thing I did when my dad got me a go-kart was put a Ferrari sticker on, <laughs> on the NASA panel, <laughs> like right bang in the middle of the thing. Um, because obviously a uh, big fan of Ferrari had, or you have to be, I think yeah. in the growing up in an Italian household, but, um, <clears throat> it was lots of fun. We spent, dad invested a lot of time in me and, and mum obviously, but, uh, to get, to go out virtually every single weekend, um, practicing and practicing and testing and, and we raced in junior J lights and junior J heavies. So I had, you know, like 40 kilos of lead when I was in Junior J heavies just to try to get extra miles in and try to catch up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, some, I mean, to be honest, as a, in terms of we talk about family sports, Rusty, motorsport, and we still see it to the day, and I don't think I realise that until now when I sort of go to the racetrack and walk around, but it's such a family-orientated sport. It's very difficult to do unless you've got that support as a young kid to get into motorsport. So your family normally taking you around. Um, the first car that we had was uh, Dad had a um, Land Cruiser, which he still owns to today, might I add. Really? <laughs> um, 
And uh, and that's what we used to go around in everywhere. We got a, you know, had our little cart trailer, double decker sort of little cart trailer thing. And um, I, I laugh about it. I'm actually where I work now. Um, the family that I work with used to race carts as well. And we used to go karting together okay. quite a bit. So it's it really is some of the best memories. It's some of the best motor racing that you do in your life as well. I mean, I've been lucky mm. to race in all different levels and competitions, but in terms of pure racing, there is there's it's difficult to find something where you you're actually competing and have that um, those moments where you're racing against someone and it's just wheel to wheel and and it's driver pure. v driver. There's there's mm. so much at stake, um, and you know there's there's a lot to lose as well. So uh, it's it, very satisfying in um, in karting to go racing at a at a top level for sure. When did you go from nearly being lapped in the Australian titles to being competitive race winner Michael Caruso? And how you know in that journey was it? you know, just this sole obsession for you, that's all you wanted to do or was it just a pastime and, and uh, that beautiful family connection that you've talked about? I mean, it, it does have uh, one of the, the spin-offs our sport has is the unity it provides family. I mean, some family have, have difficulty keeping kids together and troubles that emerge from that. I mean, that is actually one of the unsung benefits of motor racing and how it, um, it keeps that unity in, in family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, to in terms of going from last to, to winning, it, it took took about a year until I got um, onto the pace and where I was competing. Um, I think I went back a year later in the state championships at Lifco and Alan Gurr and I, um, another last lap battle. We'd race each other all weekend. We went, you know, race for race. Oh, I'd win a heat, he'd win a heat, so on and so forth. And we got to the final and we were... We were basically 500 metres up the road of everybody um, and um, he crashed me out in the second last corner and and we hated each other for years but we end up turning out to be good mates. Uh, but these are the stories that you, you, you and moments that you just never forget. You know, at the time mm. we were so livid at each other that we'd, um, that, you know, we obviously both wanted it so bad but um, you're right, you know, even... Alan and his father and his family, you know, his brother raced as well. You you talk about family and you see it everywhere. And, and even today you mm. look at categories like, you know, Toyota 86 and what have you, the whole family come away and they've got mm. a car towing a trailer. Sorry, they've got a, you know, truck or whatever they have towing the car on the back and they're either sleeping in their car and, you know, they've got their whole life in this little garage um, and we're mm. so comfortable and used to, you know, at the top level in supercars, you get very easy complacent, but you look at how they do it and you think, yep, that's exactly, you know, that's what it was like, you know, at one point. So you get lots of, you know, it's hard. It's definitely not easy motor racing. Um, there's lots of challenges, mm. like I'm sure every sport, but um, there's one thing for sure that you get out of it is if you can be surrounded by your family and have that support, it's, yeah, you've it's down the track, though, when you start to actually really get, Appreciate you know, see that. it and enjoy mm. it. Mm. We'll get to uh, the move into kind of cars and racing in a second here, but I want a little bit of a snapshot of um, young Michael Caruso and, and life in a kind of beautiful Italian family. Now, my question is a little bit loaded here. Rick Kelly tells me that about this time of year, when we record, he 
doesn't mind bringing you some Mildura oranges, which you have a fondness for, right? But he says you have never returned the favour and made him your homemade pasta. Apparently, you can make pasta. Is this true? <laughs> Gosh, you really are. You really are prepared today, mate. Um, thanks, Rico. <laughs> uh, I love the Mildura oranges. He he's spot mm-hmm. on. Absolutely love them. There's something about I don't know what they've what they've got in the soil up there, but they actually are um, amazing. We used to do those training camps for uh, each year for particularly for the Enduras and um, some. Each we'd find our way walking through the the orange fields and what have you, um, <laughs> and I'd want to take a box home every single time because they were unbelievable. So that's some of the Kelly <laughs> background there in terms of where <laughs> what they do um, outside of motor racing. But I love cooking. Um, I'm very yeah very lucky. Grew up obviously around food, and my mum. Uh, he's a great cook and, and fortunate now my wife looks after me as well. But we spend a lot of time at home most Sundays. Um, we have f- uh, family lunch and, and yeah, we'll we'll cook a meal and maybe nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten, it'll be pasta <laughs> um, <laughs> as well. So I, I do like it. But um, we also have been uh, – one thing that um, I know Rick does enjoy as well is – uh, is actually salami, so we do salami as well. So I uh, know the boys uh, used to enjoy a bit of uh, homemade salami. So yeah, cooking's very much a part of our DNA. Awesome. Todd Kelly used to kind of really with those training camps do some seriously hardcore things. Were there were there any moments where you were really tested on those? Or I think Owen Kelly told me a story, but or maybe it was Murph about being in the middle of the never never somewhere near bright and they were worried if they'd get back alive and all, yeah, all sorts of stuff. I they were legendary, that. weren't they? I'm sort of lucky I was never on that one because everyone <laughs> I've ever spoken to about that was on that actual training camp, uh, it, they do make it sound like it was life or death. And I'm pretty sure it was Tim <laughs> Blanchard who was who'd given up on life. Like literally, like, nah, I'm done. Forget about me sort of thing. And and I, I didn't believe it until I asked him myself and he was like, no, I was, I'm, I was finished. I, 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 yeah, he'd just given up on it, which was, a, <laughs> he'd been completely broken. So Rick tells the story when he went to run for help. It was like a 5K run and he was running at pace because, you know, everybody had hypothermia and what have you. And anyhow, long story short, those the training camps post that were a little bit, a um, little bit more Tomer, luxurious, a uh, little bit more <laughs> drinking and, <laughs> and eating <laughs> on the awesome. farm, so it was good. Were you good at school and was there the kind of notion around family that, okay, if you want to go and play in karting on weekends and things, you've got you to be good at your schoolwork and get that done? What was that side of And <laughs> has that schooling helped you now in business and whatever you're doing? Uh, was it good in school? I'm not, I don't know if I was good in school. Um, I enjoyed school very much. I, I've lots of friendships. So my best friends right now literally um, carried all the way from high school uh, to today, which is great. Um, School was something that was, then this is being completely honest and fair. I I focused on it when I had the time, but as I mentioned a bit earlier, you know, going racing every single, you know, virtually every single weekend, particularly in karting, um, was difficult to, to manage because you'd be away mm. for days on end, you know, whether it be in Queensland, Melbourne or 
um, Kalgoorlie, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in WA, wherever it may be, um, travelling um, to every other second karting event. So it, it made it did make it difficult, but I, you know, I did did everything I could um, while I was there, which I enjoyed, um, and I was lucky the school supported me as well in terms of they were very much aware of what my ambitions were. Um, and I made that pretty clear that <laughs> that motor racing was, was something that um, not only I wanted to do, but I was going to get there either way. So, um, hmm. yeah, that was pretty cool. Was it Shuey? Was it Senna? Who were the kind of idols? Uh, it, was, it was definitely Senna in the beginning, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when Michael made the shift over to Ferrari, I mean, yeah, pretty difficult. Well, that era was yeah. unbelievable. So... Yeah. yeah. Cool. How much of a sacrifice for mum and dad early on, mate, when you were trying to get established here? I think my parents would be very rich if they didn't send, send me go-karting <laughs> and motor racing. <laughs> um, yeah, it was hard. We, You know, dad had his own business. He was um, obviously mechanic uh, by trade, so he had his own factory and what have you, um, to the point where he'd actually given it all away when I got into Super 2 so he could purely work on the car. Um, as a number one mm-hmm. when I got into Super 2. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can't – I'll never be able to repay in full what my parents mm. gave up. Um, you know, it, yeah. And you see it all the time, don't you? We see this, you know, I know I'm not the only person, so I'm not, you know, um, going to get too sentimental here. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a type of sport that – the type of passion it brings out of people and uh, is is so unique. I mean, I, my, my kids mm. play various sports on the weekend and there's people that are passionate there. But, you know, we're talking about, I remember my, you know, most weekends my dad would finish work Thursday, we'd drive overnight to get to Melbourne. The next morning at 6am you'd be, you know, getting up, going to the go-kart track, setting up, getting ready to go. This is after doing a day's work and <laughs> and most parents are doing this, you know, and they've got their own business, mm. whatever it may be. And then, how you know, he would operate on very little sleep and to the point where you'd race for the three days, get back in the car, you know, wrap up at six o'clock, straight at, straight to drive work. home, mm. next morning get up and go to work and I'd be ruined, you know. I'd be mm. sleeping in the car and, oh, yeah, you beauty. <laughs> go to school <laughs> the next day. So, um, yeah, that, that type of investment not just financially is you know it's it's a lot to ask so very lucky was there ever a plan b was it only ever to be a racing driver um when did you kind of go yep this is what i'm about what i want to be oh look i think it was pretty early on i i wanted to be that um but there was two occasions where i didn't renew my my cams license um and I had had a break twice for 18 months where I just didn't drive a race car. So, um, how tough was that period? How, how much of, of withdrawal did you get? Uh, oh, it was ridiculously difficult to to not drive a race car. But mm. to not renew my license was pretty big. I was sort of like, well, I, you know, mm. I haven't got to drive. There's no cars racing sort of on the on the horizon here. I want to do it, but <clears throat> mm. there's nothing, you know other than just walking around yeah. racetracks hoping and praying. Unfortunately, the cost of going motor racing, motor racing isn't, doesn't get paid on that. So, um, yes. yeah, it's, it, they, they were two pretty difficult moments. Um, and then, 
yeah, through obviously persistence. Um, yeah, got it. Got my last shot, which obviously is you know ended me to where I am today. So um, mm. yeah, it's it's a difficult road, uh, and I and I don't imagine it's gotten any easier. Um, easier, you know, mm. as the sports become more professional for sure. How did you get? A drive in a race car. What was the first race car? Where were you? And and uh, when you made that transition from carts to to cars? It was actually my dad's XC Sports sedan. So awesome. um, he still had it when I all the way through my motor or well, early motor racing career. And then when I made the transition, he um, he got the car prepped up because I was going to go. I was in the cars, so he thought, "Oh, we'll we'll get you." out on a racetrack so you can change gears and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, the thing had like – That's quite a, quite a step, Michael. Quite yeah, a out step. of a go-kart. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, uh, he's seen the thing, oh, you'll be all right. I mean, him trusting me with the car as well, which was pretty pretty good. But, um, oh, I mean, I hmm. played it off like it was nothing. But the car, you know, it had like, I don't know, 650 horsepower or something and, you know, weighed 1,000 kilos, blah, 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 blah. So it was – all hand built, and I trust him. But it was it was scary to drive. Like it was, yeah, full of beans and um, didn't handle too well, which <laughs> which didn't surprise me because um, that wasn't the focus. It was like most sports at Anza, it was all about how fast he can go down the straight. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was pretty pretty unique to to get to drive your dad's hand built race car. Michael has shared a car with some cool co-drivers in the supercars endurance races over the years, including Grant Denyer, whose love of racing started on the family farm. Man, I'd bog some cars in my time. <laughs> I remember once, whenever it would rain, I'd go, yes, because we'd only have like a little Suzuki Sierra, which has no horsepower, but when it rains, you can get that thing sideways around the sheds, and it was magnificent. Hear the Gold Logie winner's incredible TV and racing story by searching for his pod in the Rusty's Garage Library. Bet they both had the race driver's seat as far forward as it would go. Sorry, Michael. Rusty definitely wrote that. The CV shows Formula Ford as kind of the next phase, I suppose, mate. Um, how did you stitch that together? And, and uh, we're going to get to a little bit of Formula 3 stuff here in a moment. My buddy Richard Crail has reminded me of a few things from your F3 career, which are important. But um, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, the, that was really the step into to car racing from, from, a, from a series point of view. So um, way back when uh, Ford sponsored uh, a karting series called Ford Max Challenge, um, mm-hmm. which actually Mark Winterbottom was in. I mean, most of most of the guys that I raced throughout my career went into that series because the end result or the top four in the championship were going to get a shot at getting a drive in a uh, in a former Ford. Um, and yeah, and I was I'd won the championship, and then we did a shootout. I guess you could call it at Winton. Um, and then we also went to the v, VIS as well. So they did this sort of like complete testing of, of an athlete um, and rated everyone and what have you. And then we got a phone call saying, yep, you've, got a, you've won the whole drive, um, which was all backed by Ford, which was pretty, pretty cool and unique. Um, and that was mm-hmm. really when I yeah, stepped up in there and, um, yeah, and started driving, you know, went out of go-karting basically when I was uh, – 18, 19 years old. 
Talk, what are we talking here, mate? Nearly sort of turn of the century, are we? 2000, 2001, something along that those lines? That was 01. 01. Yep. Cool. Cool. Yeah. How'd you go at the VIS? How, how fit was a Michael Caruso back then? It, uh, yeah, I was actually really fit back then. Um, I was actually really, really good. Uh, I mean, different fitness to now, but um, I didn't I didn't really have a full-time job back then, Rusty. So <laughs> my full-time job was to be a racing car driver. <laughs> Were you gymming? Good, so lots of swimming. Yeah. Um, but the things that I actually did learn there um, – was more around my breathing and things that I just never thought about. You know, I didn't really investigate or go down those paths. But um, you know, controlling my controlling my breathing, which controls obviously your your working rate as well, and little things mm-hmm. like that. Um, they obviously did a bit of psych testing as well, which was unique. Like I'd never done anything like that as well. So um, this is all pre YouTube, I think. So there was <laughs> there was lots of new stuff that you you know never really heard about. Does some of that stuff still still kind of serve you well now? Oh, absolutely. I, I think probably just getting your eye open to, you know, some of the improvements. And, and at the time, you know, it, those types of um, organisations were really only dealing with, you know, the best um, athletes in the country, whether it be by state or by nation. Um, so um, it was unique to get an opportunity to go in and see that world. Uh, so yeah, so that type of stuff was good because I, you know, very much after that actually, it sparked an interest and and got bright involved and um, yeah, a lot of what I do is just an evolution of always wanting to you know I enjoy my fitness not just because of motor racing but um, I you know I've always mm. played football or the world game I like to call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And Are you glued to the telly at the moment then on that basis? Oh, absolutely. The kids and I were screaming the other night. Um, and it was funny, our whole Talking neighbourhood, you yeah. could hear everybody. I mean, it was absolute nail-biting, mm. wasn't it, Rusty? Um, mm. Just mm. sitting there, wait, you know, hoping they'd get through. I mean, yeah, so that was cool. So Wednesday night we'll be watching and Sunday hopefully for the final. One of the highlights um, that that sort of stand out for me in the in the single seater side of things for you is Formula Three. I still look at some of those cars now, mate, and and salivate. They were they were great cars. You had a, a very successful year, obviously, in uh, in winning the Australian Formula Three Championship in in two thousand and three. Join some dots for our, our listeners here. I want to say um, Krause reminded me. I think it was Piccolo Scuderia, Michael Massey's uncle Rudy, and and things like that. Correct. <laughs> that was Michael Massey before everybody knew Michael Massey. Knew him. (laughs) (laughs) I think he ran around with a little briefcase back then and he had the, ultimately ended up working with, uh, he worked with Kelvin O'Reilly and Super Touring in the late 90s and so on, wasn't it? But yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Formula 3 was a lot of fun. It was obviously the category had been around a couple of years, but it was, it was coming up to speed. There was a lot of interest in it. Um, It was sort of that next step in terms of, going out of Formula Ford and trying to make it into Europe um, is, mm. is really driving a car with wings and slicks. Uh, so something very much that obviously I was still wanting to pursue was that Formula One dream. And, yeah, you know, some of the tracks that we raced on, I'll, I'll never forget racing up in the Gold Coast in that uh, in Formula Three actually against Will Power. Um, and uh, he flogged me even though I came second. But, he yeah, that was pretty cool getting to race him. Um, but it was, yeah, some of the best times as you know, that was really when KB, um, 
was very much a part of, you know, he, on the radio and what have you and, and guiding me through through Excellent. the year, which was great as well. So those cars are great fun to drive, lots of fun. Cracking championship too, mate. I mean, uh, I think it came down to the final race of the final round at Wakefield Park, maybe three points in it, you and Barton Moore. You, you'd had a, a great start to the year and then he kind of, it sort of swung back a little bit his way in the mid to, to early part or second half, I should say. Uh, Peter Hackett was in there. Christian Jones was in there. Might have been a massive shunt for Kenny Habul at, at Oran Park. Oh, Kenny Habul, that's right. Morning Skyward. <laughs> Ian Dyke, Carl Reindler. I that mean, was, was when... Um, was, that was Kenny when he first started motor racing, and and <laughs> I don't know if, if he's ever remembered back that far, but he had a huge shunt at Oran Park. Like, it was massive, um, and he was driving for Piccolo Scudero. I know that was actually, geez, he sparked some memories there. Um, yeah, he wasn't as fast as he is now. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank God, Kenny, I love you, mate. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. Love it. Now there is um, from this moment a. Uh, it feels like to me a little bit of a, a bit of a seesaw. So potential to go to to F three thousand. Maybe that was going to be ludicrously expensive. You opt, I think, to kind of stay at home, and then there was the lure again to go back overseas. So just walk us through that period and the and the mix of emotions, because obviously you did still have that European international single seater dream at that at that point. Yeah, we when we won that championship, we got a test drive uh, with Carlin Motorsport. Uh, so obviously, mm-hmm. probably the Premier team back in the day uh, at the time and went over, did the test uh, and I actually never forget being there. Um, Spent two days there, although only testing for one, but the first day went there and just sort of scouted the track and had a look around. Um, What track were you at? Sorry? What track? Uh, It was uh, Donington, sorry. Um, Donington, cool. So really unique. It was good to go over there and this is sort of pre-PlayStation days, there was nothing really that I could practice on. So I wanted to get a, get a look at the track and what have you and, um, yeah, had a look around and um, and Rosberg was testing there. So he had two... Nico. Two transporters, one which was all the equipment and the second one was just full of tyres. And literally every oh. single time he went out on the track, he'd put a new set of tyres on. Um, and he did that for two days flat out and... After the first day, sort of seeing this happen, I was like, "Wow! Like, this is in Formula Three, my day. So this is what yeah. you'd be up against, <laughs> racing against these guys." <laughs> um, but you know, it's sort of, you know, when we were racing in Australia, you you know, you get a couple of sets mm-hmm. a weekend, and you know, you try to make them last <laughs> as long as you possibly could. <laughs> um, so it sort of opened your eyes up to european motor racing like straight away and talks you know in terms of budget and people hmm. trying to make it to the big time um which he obviously did but um i'll never forget i got one set of new tires that next day and it was in my last run and you get 10 laps on them and then that's the end of it sort of thing so very very different um scenario but it was a cool experience um after that i pursued former 3000 um and tested at um, Majoni. Astromega? Who were you with? Yeah, that was with Coloni. Hmm. Um, okay. So I went to, into Perugia and, um, yeah, just tested at the circuit and actually um, I think we actually went pretty well from memory um, because they offered us the drive, but 
in terms of offering us the drive, which was, which was great, um, it also came with, you know, something like a 2 million euro uh, <laughs> invoice. So, um, you know, that, that was difficult money to sort of pull up for us at the time. So uh, it was something we obviously had to say no to. But, um, yeah, I mean, a Formula 3000 car was, you know, in, astonishing, probably the best car I've ever, in terms of complete race car. Without doubt, the best car I've ever driven. Um, most enjoyment car, that's for sure. Share a little bit more of that with the audience because they'll love that. I mean, it's a great chapter for that class of racing, the way they looked and sounded and, and so on. Uh, well, so at that circuit, um, just to put a bit of context there, we had a Passat uh, high car, um, which <laughs> they let me take around the track, let's just say, <laughs> the, day, you know, the morning of. Um, and... Uh, it actually, it, it was it was the biggest piece of shit, Rusty. <laughs> but uh, it did the job because it sort of gave me a gist of which way the track went. Um, and jumped out of that and into the Formula Three thousand, and and we're talking the faster. And you know, I never, in terms of open wheelers, they talk about the faster you go, the more downforce, the more grip, um, and that sort of works. Sometimes, let's say, you know, you have to be going a certain mm-hmm. speed, you mm-hmm. need a certain amount of grip. Uh, but when you get in one of those cars, the grip level is unbelievable. Like the, the downforce they produce, it, it absolutely blew me away. And it gives you that confidence to go faster. And you can sort of see when you watch open wheelers and get an appreciation for why people push harder, harder and harder um, as they're going faster. And it just does, it gives you that belief that the grip's there and you just want to keep pushing um and obviously there is a point of no return which i was lucky to never get to but it they are rewarding in that regard so the grip level especially on the high speed corners was amazing um lots of power i mean the car probably weighed 600 kilos i think or 650 kilos so very very light yeah it, it was it was an enjoyable car to drive enjoyable I love the vivid memories you've shared there, mate, and I can tell where it sits in your in your memory bank. Very cool. On the one hand, you know, that that's immensely satisfying. The price tag is the kind of reality check. So what happens here? Is there like a sit-down family discussion about which way am I going to go here? Do I want to go down the supercars path instead? Was there perhaps a mentor, some advice from KB or someone? What what did you do next? Uh, by this point, um, you know, I, I was under no – I mean, look, you know, I, I didn't want to put any more on my family. I knew, you know, very much aware. I was very much aware. I didn't want them to put up the house or anything silly like that, so I'd never allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. But um, I knew what we what we could and couldn't do, and that was clearly never going to be achievable for us on our own. So – um, that was, you know, I mentioned earlier about having a break. That was the point where, okay, we're just going to have to stop here because we haven't, we hadn't planned anything beyond Formula 3 and obviously trying to make mm-hmm. it into Formula 3000. So um, that's where I sat out for a while and and then, um, which, which was hard, but, uh, you know, that was really when Jim Morton, came back, um, he was getting out of go-karting right, right. And, and into car racing mm-hmm. a bit more and that was when he said, hey, uh, I'm going to get this 
Fujitsu series, I think it was at the time, um, development series mm, car. Iconica, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. and mm. get that mm. going. And and Warren had driven the car the year before, and he said, "Do you want to do you want to come and drive for me?" So, um, yeah, had it not been for Jim, absolutely, I I don't know, I'd probably be a landscape gardener or something like that, cleaning, mowing your lawns, probably rusty. I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's pick this conversation up, but very quickly in that period of reflection, what what were you doing? Did you have a job? Yeah, did you, I was did you a do? spare parts delivery driver. Were you? Who for and where? <laughs> a little company, a friend of ours who actually got um, who we went go karting with. He had a uh, little mechanical repair spare parts uh, car company, and I was driving around little Holden Barina. That was my little beast. Um, <laughs> Fair to say the parts got there pretty quick, which was good, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Jim was a great. That was. Jim. I was going to say, Jim was a great man, mate, wasn't he? And, you know, I, I think I can recall, was it Decina Bathrooms? I'm trying to remember what the backing was on the car. I reckon I can recall yep. your car at, at Wakefield Park and so on. Typical him. It was very, um, you know, for, for what it was in the second tier of the sport, it was very professionally presented and and so on um you know that's cool that he kind of um came to the rescue maybe not the right choice of words for me here but but provided oh, that window of opportunity uh, and for I, you. absolutely mm. he did and and <clears throat> and with my comment earlier about people that love motor racing will do pretty much anything um this is jim had two beautiful daughters it was the um but didn't love motor racing at all but Jim loved motor racing. So his passion was going racing and providing opportunity and, um, mm. and getting enjoyment out of seeing other people succeed and, and make a career and a living. And, and obviously there's a host of names that attach to that, including myself. Um, and that way he just kept giving, like he loved it so much. Mm. And that was where, that was where the value was for him is just seeing success and being part of success with some of those household names that we that we still talk about today so um very lucky i did motor racing with him in karting my early days and then to get another chance to mm. to join up with him um was yeah was very very unique something that's uh that's still hold today mate my grey matter mightn't be right here mate but was he tony kart i'm trying to remember was, what he was in, yeah, in karting he was yeah. he was dap before i got into karting and then he was the godfather that as they called him back in the day of tony kart mm. so um kart. Mm. yeah <laughs> it was pretty cool yep was. That's the end of part one of my podcast, a well overdue chat with supercars racer Michael Caruso. If you've enjoyed this one, you'll be pleased to know that part two is in the garage library and good to go whenever you have time. What it was like to drive those unique H-pattern Gen 1 supercars coming in during a golden era with household names. The call-up to race Bathurst as a replacement for the Kiwi Mark Porter who'd been in a frightening crash on the mountain that weekend. Getting the trademark urgent call from Gary Rogers and landing a drive with GRM. The stylish impression he made in that interview. Hands-on learning with that team, his mateship with Lee Holdsworth and the collective will they had to drive GRM forward. Success in the top end at Darwin. His time with Nissan, 
which went beyond the Altima program, shifting gears at record pace and relocating back to Sydney for a change of direction. Plus TV, TCR and a whole lot more on this edition of Rusty's Garage. Garage.